With the start of online sports betting this Thursday, FanDuel has come up with the mother of all contests for fans. The prizes include three trips, including airfare, hotel, and tickets to any SEC or ACC game of your choosing. Airfare, hotel tickets to an NFL regular season game of your choosing, or tickets to Derby 150. But if you're willing to gamble, you could take home all five prizes. Here's how it works. Download the FanDuel app, then go to ESPNLouisville.com and register your name. If you already have the FanDuel app, then you just have to register on our website. Then on Thursday, the first day of online sports gambling at Kentucky at 5 p.m., we will draw out a winning name. That person could either take one of the flyaway trips or derby tickets, or they could roll the dice for all five. Literally roll the dice. You choose two numbers on a six-sided die. If either of your numbers comes up, you take home all five prizes. If not, you get nothing, and we draw out the next winner. So download the FanDuel app, then register on ESPNLouisville.com. Wherever your favorite team tailgates this season, there's a Cox's or Evergreen Liquors nearby. Your mileage may vary. Stop by for all your game day beverages and party supplies, wine, beer, spirits, and more. Cox's and Evergreen Liquors, everyone's go-to liquor store. Big pick set out on top, but the ball is loose. And now they get it to Seaver. It's going to be Louisville in front. I shook up the world. In BCS Bowl terms, you guys shook up the world. Hey, I'm the king of the world. Hold it, hold it, hold it. Hold it. Hold it. You're not that pretty. I'm a bad man. I shook up the world. First and third, two. The 2 2 from Iggy. Swing and a miss. The cards are headed to Omaha. Welcome into another edition of Louisville Sports Live, the city's longest-running all U of L sports sports talk show. Excuse me, right here on 93.9 The Ville. Taylor Lynch, Zachy C, Zach Cantrell behind the glass, and uh, co-hosting this effort with me tonight. As one Ethan Moore is getting one last bronze session in in Florida with the fam before uh, before the cold weather hits for good. He's going to look like a statue by the end of this whole thing. You know, like one of those bronze statues outside of the building. Like Johnny Unitas or Lamar Jackson. Ethan Moore. That's the next one right beside them. Yes. Louisville legend. You got you to gotta tap his foot before you take the field. <laughs> Some magic pixie dust comes out of that. That's what springs him to victory. Oh, man. Don't win one for the Gipper. Win one for the bronze. Win either. one for the Moore. There you go. There you go. There's so many things that we can get into tonight. 8150 is the number. 3831 is the text line. If you guys want to get at us that way, you certainly can do that. I don't even know where to start because there's a lot going on in college football right now. We've got the Michigan stuff. I have no thoughts on that whatsoever. Yeah, I, I'm sh- I'm I'm one thousand percent positive that <laughs> Ohio State Zach has zero thoughts None. on the on the Michigan stuff. Um, we've also got a massive massive game uh, this weekend for Louisville, given the results of last weekend. Uh, things are open, wide open again in the ACC for Louisville, along with Duke and North Carolina, uh, with opportunities to make it to that ACC championship game and take on Florida State. Uh, so we will get into that as well. Uh, Operation Basketball 
uh, as the ACC likes to call ACC kickoff, uh, happened, uh, got started today, Kenny Payne. Uh, and a few select members of the Louisville team were they were fitted there. out with fatigues beforehand. You know, it feels like we're ready to go into battle here. Are we are we saving private pain or oh, something like that? Uh, it's uh, emotionally and mentally, I'm not ready for it. Um, but alas, just like winter, here it comes. So you yeah. just kind of have to be ready for it. Um, so we can get into that stuff as well. And of course, we're going to have our picks. Tonight, uh, no Chris Hatfield, but we do have his lock of the week that we will give you uh, in our number two. Also, our buddy Matt McGavick uh, of SI is going to stop by and join us at 8.30, give his takes, his opinions on uh, everything going on with Louisville Athletics. So I will turn it over to you, Zach. Where do you want to start tonight? Football, baby. That's... We got to start with the top 20 matchup. Absolutely. I mean, I am stoked for this game. It's not quite at the level of Notre Dame, but this is still... Duke, Louisville, and yes, we do have to clarify this is football, a top 20 <laughs> matchup, because when you think of those two, you obviously think basketball, but I'm telling you what, man, Duke looked pretty good last week against Florida State up until Riley Leonard got hurt. I think if he doesn't get hurt, I think they have a real chance to win that game, and now Louisville gets a week to kind of lick their wounds after the pit loss. I think it couldn't have come at a better time. I know they won't have Renato Brown. That's a big deal for them, mm-hmm. but Josh Jordan looks like he's fully healthy, and when George Jordan's healthy, this is a completely different offense, and they needed time on that offensive line to get ready. I think their defense is going to be rested, and let's see what they can bring to the table, because with North Carolina losing, this basically becomes an ACC championship elimination game. The team that loses this game is not yep. going to Charlotte, and the team that wins this game, Florida State, let's just go ahead and say Florida State's going to be there. Yep. So the race really comes down to whoever wins this game and North Carolina, but North Carolina, by losing to Virginia, opens the door when everybody was doom and gloom about Louisville's ACC title hopes last week. That's why you let things play out, because upsets are going to happen. So now it's there. Louisville's got this game, and if they get by this, Virginia Tech and Virginia, those are two games that should be wins. And then it really comes down to at Miami to go to the ACC championship game. So it's a new lease for this team. That's what makes this week really exciting, I think. It it, it really does. And last week... Last week had some interesting results, but none crazier than that North Carolina-Virginia game. And, you know, we talk about how what that Louisville-Pittsburgh game was like and and what that loss meant for Louisville. But Mm -hmm. that loss was in Pittsburgh in terrible weather on a questionable field. You lose Renato Brown. You don't have your best offensive weapon in Jawar Jordan. Not to um, mention the perfect letdown spot uh, right after you beat Notre Dame. Absolutely. Absolutely. So things were were completely different for North Carolina last week to be at home yeah. with your full complement of players in beautiful weather mm-hmm. and just lay the biggest egg I would argue of the season for anybody. I think that's. I think point. that's right. I don't think there's been a bigger upset this year, like anywhere. That is a one in five team. Yeah. That came in, and, and beat you. Now, granted, they didn't run rough shot over North Carolina, but you still got beat as a double digit favorite. I think it was like a twenty point favorite. Yeah. At home, you lose that game. To me, that is a worse loss than Louisville going up and losing the pit. Yeah. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Even though Pitt lost last week against Wake Forest, but right. that was on the road, and Pitt always seems to pull upsets. Like Pitt is the most inconsistent program, mm-hmm. I think, in all of college football, where when they start playing 
top five teams. They're the greatest team in yeah. the world. And then you get Youngstown State or Wake Forest, and they look like they've never played organized football before. Absolutely. So you're right. that losing North Carolina losing that game, now that has opened the door again for Louisville to have an opportunity to come out and win this weekend against Duke and find their way into the ACC title game. Duke also still has a shot, even though they now have, uh, even though they have two losses, they've only got one in conference play. Yeah. And that was their loss last week to Florida State. They did lose uh, to Notre Dame earlier this season. But they are going to, they are still in play. So you are absolutely right. This is a de facto elimination game uh, for the ACC title coming up this weekend here in Louisville between, between the cards and Duke. And this is going to be a really interesting matchup, I think. I think because we've seen Duke's defense at times this year be really good. Mm -hmm. Look back at the Clemson game. They gave up a lot of yards, but when they got in the red zone, they forced turnovers. I think they're second in the ACC this year in forcing turnovers. They're in the top three or four when it comes to sacks, rush defense. This is a team that's mostly carried on that side of the ball. And it's going to be maybe the best run defense that George Jordan has gone up against this year, which he only rushed for 32 yards against NC State. They they can't do that in this game and think they're going to win. You can't be one-dimensional against this Duke defense. And as we talked about earlier, Duke outplayed Florida State for about 75% of that game. Riley Leonard goes down, and then that pretty much took the wind out of their sails. Obviously, we don't know if Riley Leonard's going to play or not, but even if he doesn't play, there's a formula for Duke to win this game because mm-hmm. they ran roughshod on NC State a couple of weeks ago, the same NC State team that Louisville struggled with. And they did that with a quarterback. I think he completed four passes the entire game. Like they did not have a run, a pass threat whatsoever. And they still won that game fairly handily. So this is, I know people are going to look at, oh, it's Duke. Don't scoff. These guys are good. Yeah. And you and I had the conversation before the show tonight that, you know, whether Riley, is Riley Leonard going to be healthy? Is Riley Leonard not going to be healthy? You know, does he play? Does he not play? Um, Jeff Brom said it on his on his uh, coach's show uh, just a little while ago that you heard on these airwaves that he believes that Riley Leonard's going to come out and give it a go. And I think that that is probably the resounding th- the theory is that Riley Leonard will play at some point in this game this weekend, whether he starts, whether he comes. I I, I don't know, but I think you're going to see Riley Leonard at some point on Saturday afternoon. But. I don't think you're right. There is a formula for Duke to win this game, whether Riley Leonard plays or Riley Leonard doesn't play, mm-hmm. because they completed five passes and beat NC State like a drum. Yeah, and it's it's because of the physicality that Duke brings. It's the physicality on defense. It's the physicality on the offensive line, and their commitment to just running the football and controlling the clock. It's, it's kind of what Duke wanted to do the last time that they were here uh, when they beat Louisville. They they basically played the equivalent of a four-corner offense, if we're talking about basketball. Uh, the difference is Duke didn't Duke did that that time uh, with Dave Cutcliffe as, as the head coach because they didn't have the same level of talent that Louisville had. So the only way that they were going to beat Louisville was to just play keep away. Yeah. This time... If they can, they can just line up and run the ball, and and that's what they're committed to doing. Whether, like I said, whether Leonard plays or doesn't play, obviously, if he's in there, it just gives you an added, an added option. It gives you a, an an added, uh, you know, something to be concerned about. Yes, and it, because of what he can do with his legs, and because of what he can do with his arms, uh, but 
if if he's not in there, then Duke's just going to run the ball. They're going to put in the same game plan that they put in against NC State, and they're just going to play really good defense. They don't give up the big play. That is something that has been a calling card for them all season, regardless of what else they've done defensively. They don't give up the big play. Nope. They don't get beat over the top. Uh, they did in a couple of plays at the end of the game against Florida State. I also think they were exhausted. They were on the field for a whole lot of time they, in that second yes. half. Their offense did next to nothing. I think they scored three points in the second half. Yeah, They were up 20-17 to 17 going into the fourth, lost 38-20. I think if you're a Louisville fan, however, I think you feel decent about being able to stop the run because we saw them mm-hmm. against Notre Dame match Notre Dame's physicality. Yeah. Notre Dame has run the ball against just about everybody they played this year with Audric Estime and their stable of backs. And Louisville did not allow Notre Dame to really run the football. They didn't allow them to control the line of scrimmage. So if you're Louisville, you are more than capable of matching up in the trenches, even without Renato Brown. You've still got Ashton Gelati on the defensive line. You've got a unit that's gotten better as the season has gone along. They just ran up against the wrong matchup against Pitt. I think what we forget about that game, Louisville's defense wasn't that bad. No. I mean, Louisville outgained Pitt by 200-something yards, but that defense was put in some bad positions because Louisville kept turning the football over. They had a fourth and one that they didn't get at their own 35-yard line. Louisville's defense played well enough in that game to give them a chance to win. It was the offense that kind of gave that game away. So I think Louisville can match Duke physically, but the question's going to be, of course, if Riley Leonard plays or doesn't, that's going to be a big factor. And which version of Jack Plummer are we going to get? That is that is probably, to me, more important than is Riley Leonard going to play or not. It's which which version of Jack Plummer are we going to get? Are Don't. we going to get the Jack Plummer that played against Notre Dame, that managed the game, that made some good throws, that kept Louisville ahead of the sticks, uh, that kept them in good positions, or are you going to get the Jack Plummer that went up to Pittsburgh and turned the ball over and threw interceptions and threw off his back foot and didn't throw it out of bounds when he should have? And it's a it's a Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde thing yep. with with Jack when he goes on the road versus when he's playing at home. The Jack that we get at home from you know these these last six games that we've got a sample size of the Jack that we we're seven games. The Jack that we get at home is consistent. He makes the right play. He throws the ball away. He if it if it's not there, you know, he can even run a little yes. bit. He's he's scrambled with his legs and extended plays. But the jack that we get on the road is totally different. With the exception of that first half against Indiana. The first half against Indiana, Jack was on fire. The entire offense was on fire. And they were connecting. They had some deep plays downfield. It looked great. The second half, everybody was in my A. And Louisville still found a way to win that game. I don't think at home against Duke you can have a, a second half like you had against Indiana. No, you, you certainly can't. And this year at home, Jack Plummer is completing 76% of his passes, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. Mm-hmm. On the road, he's got six touchdowns and six interceptions. And that goes hand-in-hand hand with how this team has played this year. We've talked about at home against Murray State, 56 nothing yeah. Against Boston College, 56-28. Notre Dame, 33-20. This team has struggled on the road or neutral environments, if you want to count Georgia Tech and Indiana's neutral environments, mm-hmm. but they didn't play well against NC State, and they didn't play well against Pitt. But the good news for them is four of their last five games are going to be at home. So if they are that much better at home than they are on the road, it should show up. 
over this last month of the season. So being at home is going to be big for them. And it looks like we're not going to have to worry about the weather like you had to worry about up at Pitt. It looks like about as good as you can do for late October, mid-70s, sunny. So that's not going to be a problem as far as ball security or anything like that. So I think Jack Plummer just has to play within himself. Healthy Jawar Jordan should certainly help with that. Mm -hmm. You've got the receivers outside with Jamari Thrash and Huggins Bruce. Let those guys be the hero. Don't try to be the hero. Let those guys go out and make the plays, get open, put the ball on them, and then just let them run after the catch. Jack Plummer just has to play within himself and not think he has to do more than he does because he's got plenty of weapons around him that can. And I will say, we we haven't seen anything definitive from U of L about Jawar Jordan's health, but he did put on his Instagram uh, just a little while ago, actually an hour ago. Uh, it was a picture from uh, Dragon Ball Z for, yeah. for, for my nineties kids, mm-hmm. uh, and it just says I'm healed. Yeah, he's playing. So I, if I ha- if I were a betting man, and apparently now I am a betting man. I was gonna say uh, after last week you are you a know, betting after, man. Now. After last week, I'm I'm now a, a, a hopeless degenerate. Um, I I would say that that he that Jaws is playing. Yeah. And we also heard this week from uh, wide receivers coach that Jamari Thrash is fine, yep. no issue with the wrist there. Uh, so Jamari should should play, and and I mean, obviously he played last week, but I would expect to have you know a big game from Jamari at home. It's going to be interesting to see as as well as Duke is doing against the pass this season. They are 60th in the country yep. in rushing defense. Uh, they're allowing four yards a, a carry. Um, they've allowed six off or six touchdowns by the opponents rushing the ball. They've allowed 136 yards per game on the ground to opponents. If you give Jawar Jordan four yards a carry, he's going to kill you. And the thing we know about Jawar Jordan is what have we talked about with the running game over the last couple of games, especially the pick game? They kind of had two, three yards, really mm-hmm. weren't getting anything consistent. Well, Jawar Jordan can have a two- or three-yard run, and then he can have a 70-yard run. And there's always a point at every game, it seems like, where he breaks a long one, yep. NC State game aside. Outside of that, he's had those couple plotting runs, and then all of a sudden, oh, you think you have him? No, you don't. He's off 70 yards, and that just opens up the offense in a completely different way than Isaac Garendo or any of the other backs can do. And it's not to say that Isaac Rindo and Maurice Turner are not good backs because no. they are very good backs, and they did a good job in that pit game. Louisville just went away from the run. Yeah. And if Louisville stays with the run and doesn't drop back and throw the ball 52 times in that pit game, I think maybe the game is closer, if not a totally different outcome. But it is what it is, and you move on to the next one. But that's the difference, and I tweeted it out on Monday – when Jeff did his press conference and made mention that he wasn't too sure yet whether Jawar Jordan was going to play or not, I said, if Jawar Jordan does not play, it makes a difficult task against Duke even more difficult. And some people, you know, took an issue with it on Twitter and and were like, you know, you can't be serious. We can't be that one-dimensional, blah, 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 blah. It has nothing to do with Louisville being one-dimensional at all. I, I... Louisville's not one-dimensional. Louisville can run the ball. Louisville can throw the ball. They've shown us that through seven games. But Jawar Jordan is unquestionably your best offensive weapon. Yeah. And and Jamari Thrash is incredible. And, you know, some of the other stable uh, of receivers that Louisville's got are really good. Huggins-Bruce is really good. Coleman is really good. You've got Chris Bell. You've got some really solid wide receivers. But 
what Jawar Jordan can do with the ball in his hand is just special. Jawar Jordan can make the wrong call right. Yes. He can take a yep. pitch that goes for a two-yard Unlike Kate Clubling, yeah. Klubnik, Kate which we Klubnik. saw yes, against that's Clemson. Right. That's absolutely right. Now, it can be the wrong call. <laughs> he can have a little one- or two-yard run outside that he can cut, and it goes for a 70-yard yeah. touchdown, and everybody looks like a genius. That's what he brings to the table. It's like... The 49ers are good when they don't have Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. but when they have Christian McCaffrey, they're really good. Last couple games notwithstanding, that's how it looks right now with George Jordan. When he's out there, that offense is at a completely different dimension, and the safeties have to play up because they don't want to get beat with the long run. They right. have to play everything differently. That means more man coverage. That means safeties have to creep up a little bit. They have to be worried about giving up the big play, where when he wasn't available against Pitt, those safeties are playing pretty far off because they weren't worried that Louisville was going to beat them deep, and they didn't. And you think of what he can do in the pass game, too, as a as a pass catcher out of the backfield. It, it has to be calming for Jack Plummer to know that he's got Jawar Jordan out there, whether it's behind him, whether he's lined up, catching a pass out of the backfield, catching a slant, you know, getting the screen and cutting it upfield. Like, his speed and his quick twitch and his ability to put his foot in the ground and get upfield, that's what you miss when he's not in the lineup. Not to say that, you know, Maurice Turner and and Isaac Garendo, I think Isaac Garendo's a really good back. I think Maurice Turner's a really good back. They're, it's just different with Jaws. So the fact that he seems like he's going to be healthy and the fact that he seems like he's going to be out there are going to be huge for Louisville as we get into more of this week and, and heading into this game against Duke, which is going to be massive. Top 25 showdown, number 20 Duke, number 18 Louisville, uh, 3.30 on ESPN. It's exactly what you want. looks like it's going to be really good weather. Yeah, uh, It's going to be a fun time. Let's, uh, let's go to the phone lines, and Lawrence is going to kick things off tonight. Lawrence, welcome in, man. What's up? What's up, man? Uh, you talked about my 49 but I already had Jack Plummer started instead of the same Darner right now. <laughs> <laughs> But I really do hope they run the ball more than they did throwing the ball. Mm-hmm. Because I believe we got one, Louisville got one of the best running games in the ACC right now. And I know they lost Brown for the season, but I think this Louisville team can line up and run the ball down Duke's throat. And I really do hope when they do get in the red zone, they run the re option. Where, where the opportunity for Jack Plummer to lose, use his leg. Everybody thinks he can't run, but when, when you do see him run, he does get get a couple of good yards. Like like like, like I said last week, if they were kept running the ball, I think we'll win the game against Texas. Now you have an opportunity. Now in this game, yeah, you're going to use Chris Bell, you're going to use Frash, but if you're going to use these guys, make sure – when you're in the red zone, you run the read option. You give Jack Plummer the opportunity to hand the ball to the running back. I saw the one of the little dump passes to, to the wide receiver because you saw on that first drive against Pitt, they ran the read option. They scored the touchdown. When they stopped doing that, look what happened. So I believe they out, they will have a great defensive game. The defense will is going to hold stance. Hold Duke to, I say, at least 17 points. And I think the offense is going to go out there and put up 30 points because Jack Plummer does play good at home. And we and they're going to need the fans behind them 
on this Saturday night. I hope the game sold out once again because it, it, even though it was a free 30 game, um, this team need need their support. So I'm I'm ready. I think we're all ready. Appreciate the call, Lawrence. Thanks, Lawrence. We're we're all ready for this one. I mean, these are the kinds of games that when Louisville joins the joined the ACC back in 2014, like these were the types of games that you were looking forward to. Yes, the ranked on ranked matchups at home. Like, this was the kind of stuff. Quite frankly, this was the stuff we didn't get with Satterfield. No, and these are the kind of games that get you up in late October, early November. Yeah. That's when the weather starts changing, albeit this week it's pretty warm. which would be gorgeous. I'm this, totally good with the weather right now. Like, if it stayed like this for the next couple of months, I'd be okay with that. But these are the kind of games, this is why you get excited. Mm-hmm. Because you have a new lease on life. And you have an opportunity now with North Carolina losing. I you might be back in control of your destiny. I'm not exactly sure how the tiebreaker scenario works if North Carolina were to win out, but there's a pretty good chance if you win out and take care of your business, you're going to play in Charlotte in the ACC championship game, and that gets you re-motivated. And if that's something that they felt they lost last week, there's nothing like thinking you lost something. Now you got the opportunity back. They should be fired up and coming off the bye, as we mentioned, a chance to get healthy. You just got done playing six straight games, and the last couple really emotional games, they've had an opportunity to kind of regroup, and now there's no reason why this team cannot get to at least the Miami game because you've got this game, and if you win it, the Virginia schools, those are wins. If you think you're as good as you are, Mm -hmm. then you should win those games, and then you're going to Coral Gables with a chance to go to the ACC championship game. So that's all out there for them, and we talked about you know Jawar Jordan, obviously, we I don't think either of us feels like this is going to be a particularly high scoring game, right? No, not at all. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with the tiebreaker as you, as you mentioned it because uh North Carolina beat Pitt earlier this season. Yeah. So as but it then Louisville right could now, beat Virginia. But Louisville could beat Virginia, exactly. So then that kind of washes that out. So then I think it goes to like I saw something on Twitter the other day about like how deep the tiebreaker scenario goes, and it goes to okay, well then if you if if you don't have a tiebreaker against a common opponent, then it's like your winning percentage uh, in conference versus your winning percentage uh, like out of conference, and then I think it even goes to your opponent's winning percentage. We're not calculus majors. Yeah, I, I mean it's you can go down the whole rabbit hole. Uh, I'll I'll try to find that uh, at the break and, and see if I can find the, uh, the the tweet there. But it goes down some some pretty long rabbit holes. But yeah. uh, essentially, for Louisville, you just need to win. You just need to win, and you need to do everything that you can do uh, on your own to try and control your own destiny. It does help that North Carolina lost. Uh, it helps that Duke lost to Florida State, and you can basically eliminate them this weekend. And the good news is if, if Duke plays North Carolina, so there's yes, still an opportunity. Exactly. If you beat Duke and then Duke could turn around and beat North Carolina, that would kind of take care of everything in and of itself. Yep. So that it's all get, out there for him. Absolutely. I mean, all we wanted in year one for Jeff Brom was to get to a point where you're playing meaningful football late October, early November, where Satterfield, I don't want to say people checked out, but it wasn't – people weren't nervous going into those games. They didn't have – a ton of excitement over them. We've got it this year. We've got an opportunity to play meaningful football in late October, early November. Mm-hmm. Games where the heart rate goes up. Games yeah. where people are excited. You know, and if you can win this game, that's a second win over a ranked opponent at home 
which Satterfield didn't have a whole lot of. So you could have back-to-back home games with big-time wins. That builds a lot of recruiting momentum, builds a lot of momentum for your program overall. And there will be bunch, a, a bunch of recruits on campus this weekend as well. Jeff Brom said it as much in his um, coaches show just a little while ago. Uh, but, but, Zach, Louisville matters right now. Yes. Louisville football matters right now. And it may not matter. Not just here. And it, Right. Not just here. It matters in the ACC. It probably not so much matters in the you know college football playoff race or anything like that, but you matter in the ACC. You matter in the ACC title race. You matter right now in the projections for who's going to be in the New Year's Six. Yeah, I mean, there's that there are projections, Zach, of of, yeah. a, of a Louisville Ohio State matchup mm-hmm. so you know um, yeah i'm hoping that doesn't happen because i'm hoping there's bigger goals ahead but uh for for, for the buckeyes yes then, yeah, right yeah but that would be fantastic if louisville ended up in the orange bowl what they had florida state i think they had them in the playoff and mm-hmm. if you end up as the second acc team you end up in the orange bowl that's still a huge financial Absolutely. coup regardless of who you play and if you Absolutely. get an opportunity to play ohio state or penn state or you know one of these blue blood kind of teams that's a big time opportunity for well, Brom, I mean, but of course that's getting ahead of ourselves. I want to play I want to play Penn State because uh James Franklin can't beat a ranked team. Yeah, so the, I, I feel I could have told you that last yeah, week. James yeah. Franklin is not a great in game coach. I, I would rather have Brom as an in game coach than James, James Franklin. James Franklin or Mario Cristobal, take your pick. I'll take James Franklin. <laughs> James Franklin has James Franklin's made a lot of bad coaching decisions. To the best of my knowledge, James Franklin has never lost a game that he had won because he refused to take a knee. <laughs> I am surprised. He would be one of those coaches that would do that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm surprised, really, that Miami uh, has not crumbled. That no, Miami has picked themselves up off the mat, uh, and they are still respectable right I now. I mean, what we saw last week, that was just a battle of mid with Clemson and Miami. So Oof. I don't... I don't really know. Miami rallied and won that game, but how much of that is Miami's persevered and they're resilient versus mm-hmm. Clemson's just bad? Of and all Dabo, the years, did you hear Dabo's comment about the sports psychologist? No, you did. You didn't hear this. No. So Dabo's talking about like whether the team needs sports psychologists or whatever, oh, and he said, "Yeah, we have a sports psychologist. He's probably on suicide watch right now." Oh my god! I'm oh, not kidding. Dabo. Dabo, Dabo, Dabo. They're on the CW this week. That's yeah. how far they've fallen. Did you hear his comments about that? No, I didn't. He, he literally, Dabo went, it's shocking to me that Dabo went from being the it coach in college football to just sounding like every other boomer. No, it, and it, he literally made some comments about he doesn't know what the CW is. He doesn't know how to find the CW. Oh, yeah, of course. And I'm like, Dabo, do you call it the clicker too instead of the remote? <laughs> Like, 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 come on. Come on, Devo. Does, uh, he just reminds me of the old SpongeBob beam. How many times do we have to tell you this, old man? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's do this. Let's take a timeout. When we come back, Matt McGavick of SI.com going to join us. We'll get his opinions on Louisville Duke and a myriad of other comments uh, and things going on around college football. So we will take a break. More LSL when we come back. Keep it locked right here, 93 on the Ville. Uh. 
Welcome back in Louisville Sports Live, 93.9 The Ville, Taylor Lynch, Zach Cantrell, hanging out with you guys tonight. 8150-939 is the number 3831-939 is the text line if you guys want to get at us that way you can. Let's welcome him in right now as we kick off the second segment here of our number one with our buddy Matt McGavick. SI.com, the Louisville Report. Matt, welcome in, buddy. What's going on? Oh, not much. Just gearing up for a, a good top 20 matchup that's going to have, you know, ram- long-term ramifications for the ACC title race. You know, no big deal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, no problem at all. So let, let, let's get right into it. Um, it's going to be another top 20 matchup, as you mentioned it. Um, this I, I said it earlier. This is what you dreamed of when Louisville – move to the ACC. These were the types of games that we hoped for. Did I think that it would be top 20 matchups against Duke? Uh, No, not necessarily, but uh, the Blue Devils are for real uh, this season, and we've got a top 20 matchup on our hands, and you are absolutely right. Louisville uh, kind of in control as best they can be of their ACC title game uh, chances here in this one. So how are you feeling about this matchup this weekend between the Cards and Duke? Honestly, there's a whole bunch of factors at play here that make me feel mostly good about it. The, the, the first factor is, of course, the injury factor. I mean, we heard like, all earlier this week how Jawar Jordan, Jarvis Brownlee, they're kind of up in the air, kind of questionable to play. Kind of reading between the lines, it seems like Jawar Jordan was going to play, and then he posts on Instagram kind of insinuating that he is going to. And then it's just kind of wait and see for Jarvis. So they, but from what I've heard, it seems like he could be good to go, but we'll just wait and see until game day actually here. Mm-hmm. It actually gets here. And then, but on the Duke side of things with Riley Leonard, I mean, he he went full go against Florida State and then re-aggravated the ankle injury again. Now, when you re-aggravate a high ankle sprain like that, I, I don't know if you've sprained ankle like that before, but it, it doesn't feel great. Mm-hmm. So... I'm I'm no Division One athlete, but I know what that feels like. So having to go out there after aggravating that injury again, I don't know if he's going to be able to. So if I had to place a bet on, I'd say that Louisville's probably going to see Duke's backup. Which I mean, he's got talent, and he will be a good quarterback someday. But Henry Beal in the fourth is very raw, and he's definitely not the game manager, and definitely not the quarterback that Riley Leonard is. And on top of that. Duke's uh, top, top statistical cornerback, uh, Miles Jones, he's kind of up in the air, too, day-to-day. And Mike Elko said that it's going to be a race against the clock to get him ready for Saturday. So that's two big-time players for Duke that are probably going to be out, whereas Louisville's going to have two big-time players that are probably going to be in. So that's the first part. And then the second part, I mean, we know Jeff Brom gets up to the big game. Yep. I mean, we know on the other, uh, on the other side of that, he's going to have a stinker from time to time. We already saw that. But on the <laughs> other side... He gets up for the big game. This certainly qualifies as a big game, top 20 at home. It, if you win this, Louisville's going to be not completely in the driver's seat for the ACC title race, but they're going to be as in control as they can be given their situation. So, honestly, I feel pretty good about Louisville heading into this matchup. So, we talked about, you mentioned there, Riley Leonard, and I talked about him a little bit earlier that if he plays, if he doesn't play, I mean, yes, obviously 
having him in the lineup gives Duke another dimension with his legs and what he can do throwing the ball. He's been dynamic when he's been in there. Uh, we know what he's capable of, and it makes their offense uh, – it gives them the ability to stretch teams vertically when he's in the game. When he's not in the game, as we saw against NC State, which I regard as a pretty solid defense – um, and, and we saw that when Louisville went down there and played them and had to just escape with a win. Um, but Duke needed five completions uh, to just steamroll NC State. Beat them 24-3, to I believe it was. So NC St- or Duke can beat you either with Riley Leonard, Riley Leonard throwing the ball or they can beat you lining up and just pounding the football. So Zach and I mentioned it. We both kind of are in agreement that I think Louisville is going to be able to match the physicality, but that's the thing that jumps off when you look at Duke. It's how physical they are, and they can beat you if you want to play this thing as a rock fight or if you want to throw the ball around. Oh, yeah. No, they've got uh, one of the – not only do they have one of the better offensive lines in the ACC, they've got a really – and I mean really damn good running back tandem in Jordan Waters and Jock Moore. I mean – what I know, Waters is the the starter. He's got 465 rushing yards and nine scores. But I mean, there's not a lot of talent drop off when Jacques Moore comes in. He's got 390 and three scores. Obviously, there's a big touchdown discrepancy there. But both are running around for six yards a carry. Which I mean, yeah, it's not Jawar Jordan, but I mean, there's not a lot of who are like Jawar Jordan. Mm-hmm. Still though, there's they've got a two headed monster and running back. They've got one of the best offensive lines in the ACC. So. They really don't need a ton of Riley Leonard, so it speaks volumes to when Riley Leonard comes out, how much different Duke's offense can look. I mean, we saw in against Florida State this past weekend, they're up, what, 20-17 to 17 at halftime, then Riley Leonard aggravates that injury in the third, and then Florida State proceeds to go on a, I think it was a 21-0 run in the fourth yeah. quarter. Yep. I mean, and Duke looks like a completely different team, and, and that, that, that's not to say that their backup, uh, Bielan, did so terribly. It's it's just that Florida State f- was tempting and forcing them to try and want to stretch the ball down the field, not knowing that their backup was in, and that they were trying to bottle up the run. And as good as Waters and Moore are, when you stack the box like that, especially with a team that has as much five star talent as Florida State does, it's going to be tough going. But regardless, this is a really physical, tough team that if you let them, they will shove the ball down your throat. Yeah, so let's talk about Louisville's quarterback here, Jack Plummer, at home this year. 76% completion percentage, seven touchdowns, two interceptions. He's thrown six and six on the road, respectively. And that's kind of tied in with how Louisville has played on the road this year as opposed to at home. They've been a great team at home this year. And luckily for them, this game is at LNN Stadium. So uh, let's go through the mindset of Jack Plummer. Do you think Jeff Brom's going to get him some confidence throws early on this game? How do you think they're going to get him looking like his old self after kind of struggling against Pitt? I mean, if you're Jeff Brown facing this, this Duke secondary, I mean, not only do you want to get Jack Plummer some confidence throws by getting some easy check down, some easy, you know, drag, slot, some five-yard ins and outs, like that might be the go-to game plan for the entire game because Duke defense, they make their hay in the secondary. I mean, they have – I don't have the stats right in front of me, but they've got a – top 25 passing defense Mm -hmm. in all of college football. And when you look at the advanced analytics, their coverage grade per pro football focus is number eight in all of college football and number one in the ACC by far. 
So Duke can really cover on the back end. They've got a, a really nice th- uh, three-corner, two-safety set that, like, no matter who you throw at, they're going to have a tough time. Miles Jones is one of their, like I said earlier, one of their best corners. Chandler Rivers is a really nice corner. He does really well in run defense. Al Blaze, the transfer from Miami, he, he's done pretty well. So if you're Jeff Brom and if you're Jack Plummer, this isn't a game where you can just try and, you know, have the screw it Tyreek down here somewhere. <laughs> this, this this is a team where you have to take what they give you, and it, they're not going to give a lot. And if what they give you is a check down to Jaws or like just a short cross to Amari or to Jaws or to Chris Bell, you got to go with it because that might be the only way you're going to be able to move the ball. I mean, and then mix that in with some runs. I mean, there's going to be very few opportunities for Louisville to really stretch the ball down the field. So. And not only do I think that Jack, uh, that Jeff is going to set up Jack for confidence throws, like you know, get him going in rhythm. That might be what he has them do for the majority of the game. So, how much do you think it plays into Louisville's benefit that they had kind of an opportunity to have a bye week after that emotional loss against Pitt and coming off a big win against Notre Dame versus Duke had to expend a lot of energy against Florida State, one of the best teams in the country, a very physical kind of game. How much of a benefit do you think that gives to Louisville? I mean, just from a pure health perspective, it certainly benefits them just because, I mean, two of your top guys who were questionable coming out of that game against Pitt gives them an extra week to rest up. And plus, one way to look at it is that you've got an extra week just to kind of stew on that loss and have Louisville just kind of think about it and have that, that feeling of losing. It sticks with them for an extra week. And um, in, Jeff, in the press conference earlier this week, Jamari Thrash and TJ Quinn straight up said, like, yeah, we, that, that losing feeling, we don't like that. And so when you've got that ex- that taste in your mouth for an extra week, you want to get it out as soon as you can. So I think having the bye week when it was and that it was right after a loss, it, it certainly will serve as a motivational tool. And yet and on the flip side, I mean, Duke spent expended so much energy in Florida State because Florida State is, you know, it's a tough team to face to begin with. Facing them in Tallahassee is a different beast. And they had them on the ropes for a second. And then Florida State did what they did, came back late in the game. Mm. and But in the process, Duke's trying to hold them and hold them and hold them, and they couldn't hold on long enough. So that expends a lot of physical energy. That expends a lot of mental energy. So that that's certainly a factor to, to play into this game. And then with it being home, like you said, I mean, I don't have the splits right in front of me, but, I mean, anyone who's watched Louisville this season can tell you this is a much different team at home than they are away from Element Stadium. So all when you put every single factor that we've talked about over the last 10 or so minutes, that all pours into why I feel confident that they should win. Not, I don't know, I want to say like they should steamroll too, because this is still a very good, very tough, physical, talented team. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when you pour in everything, Jeff will have this team ready to go, and Louisville should come out on the other side with a victory. I don't want to downplay this, and I feel like we haven't really touched on it at all, either with you or just in the show tonight in general. How big of a loss, if you can even quantify it, is not having Randall Brown? And I mean, a, a stalwart, a three-year starter, um, his his size, just what he brings to the offensive line. Obviously, Austin Collins is going to come in uh, and, and take over that role, and, and Austin College, Collins has played really well. Uh, he's kind of been the Swiss Army knife for a lot of positions on this offensive line, so he's got a lot of playing time under his belt. But still, losing Renato Brown, that's a big hole to fill. 
It is. Now, what I'm about to say is not going to be a slight to Renato Brown. Hot take Matt. Here we go. Hot take Matt. Because, like he, like you said, three-year starter. He's got experience at a couple positions. But when you look at the starting five offensive linemen, if you had to pick a single one who was wasn't performing up to par or wasn't performing at their peak efficiency, it was Renato. When you look at the kind of advanced stats on pro football focus, it was even to the point where Renato didn't even play in the second half against Notre Dame. I mean, Austin Collins played that right guard for the entire second half against Notre Dame. So, And this is an offensive line where, for some reason, the other four starters have played like 95 to 99% of the total snaps. So as, as valuable of an asset as Renato is, I don't think the offensive line is going to like, have this tremendous setback from Renato having to miss the rest of the year because not only was he kind of been up and down, Austin Collins has you know done really well like filling in for him. So I, I don't have a lot of concerns for the offensive line given that, you know, Renato's lost for the year because I have I have faith that Austin's gonna be able to maybe even do better than what Renato was up to this point in the season. So if you're pretty confident in Louisville beating Duke, if I had to turn it the other way and say there's an area of concern in this game or if Duke were to win, what would be the reason why? What would you say to that? Oh, I would say, oh man, probably the fact that Louisville still doesn't have a go-to tight end. I mean, mm-hmm. that might be like now that that might not be like a big matchup like difference in this in this game with Duke, but we've seen we saw in the last game versus Pitt. I mean, they were able to have their new starting quarterback just throw throw balls to Gavin Bartholomew. They're good tight end. And they were and Pitt was able to move the ball at times in Louisville against Louisville. Louisville doesn't have that at all. I mean, if there's any weakness on this offense, it's the fact that they don't have not only do they not have a go-to tight end, they don't have a tight end that they can really consistently rely on. Yeah. And especially when, when you're facing a Duke defense that's this tough and this physical, you're going to need like a bigger body receiver to kind of challenge those those linebackers in that front seven over the middle and. Louisville just doesn't have that. So if the if the secondary is keeping Jack Plummer and the receivers in check, and Duke's run defense and front seven like, performs up to what they can, and Duke does have some talented guys in that front seven, including a preseason and All American in Dwayne Carter, there they would this would be a situation where they need a tight end to kind of find that middle ground and find weaknesses in the offense, weaknesses in the Duke defense, and Louisville just straight up doesn't have that right now. So if I told you, if if I gave you these two scenarios, this game, Louisville wins this game, and it looks more like Louisville-NC State, or I tell you Louisville wins this game, and it looks more like Duke-NC State, which one would you tend to think is more likely? Um, oof. Right? <laughs> probably, I would probably say Louisville-NC State, to be yeah. honest, because both of these defenses are playing really well. 
the offense is coming off of a game where they were a little questionable. Now, I say that, and they put up, what, 460 yards? It just, they just had three really big mistakes. It's the turnovers, yeah. Yeah, no, it's the turnovers, and they, that's still a problem now. They said they addressed it in the bye week, and of course, you know, that's something that every coach and player is going to say they addressed mm. in the bye week. Will has that something that's really been fixed and addressed? I mean, we'll find out on Saturday. But up to, like, if you take the last few games as a sample size, I mean, the defenses have been playing a lot better than the offenses are, and that you can say that for both teams. So if, if I had to take my pick, yeah, I'd say it's – I don't think it's going to be a 13-10 to 10 game. I think, it would, I think it would be more so of a 24-21 to 21 or a 28-20. to 20. A 28-24 to 24 being generous because I, I do think – It's a lot of points. Offense, yeah, it, it is a lot of points. But I, I think both teams have enough big play ability or capability mm-hmm. that they'll be able to, you know, 85% of the time the defense will be – holding firm and holding stout and the the offense for the other 15 percent will be able to bust them wide open it'd be one of those scenarios. yeah this kind of feels like a low scoring game that has one or two big plays and of course if you're louisville that's jaws jordan and that's jamari thrash and i don't know if duke has those kind of big play guys but let's say if it's not those two guys who's kind of an under the radar figure that people should be paying attention to you can either pick a duke guy or a louisville guy who's kind of an under the radar guy that could break out here today in this matchup on uh, saturday i think for louisville it would probably be uh chris bell just because he's someone mm-hmm. for louisville who's had flashes he's kind of a hybrid he's a receiver but he's a hybrid receiver sort of tight end. He can he can line up in the slot and take t- reps at like kind of a tight end spot and take tight end type routes. Like he has been utilized in in, in that role at some point at, during the season. He has been utilized a lot this season because he's more so of a wide receiver. But he he's shown flashes stretching whether it's stretching down the field or making plays over the middle. So I think if the the run defense gets going and the secondary gets going. If you're going to find someone to find that middle ground and and punish Duke over the middle, it could be Chris Bell. Now, for Duke, I would say probably their standout wide receiver, Jalen Calhoun, because you know on offense, mm-hmm. Duke's the kind of kind of team that wants to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and run the ball some more. So yep. Waters and Waters and Moore are going to get theirs, but Jalen Calhoun, their number, their wide receiver one, he's. He's shown big play ability at times. He's not explosive and doesn't have like breakaway a ton of breakaway capability, but he has made plays. And if Louisville's defense has lapses in coverage, or if Jarvis Brownlee just decides that he's just going to let the guy run by him again, I mean, <laughs> Jalen Calhoun is absolutely a guy that can punish the defense if the defense is not operating at a high efficiency. All right, last one, Matt. And we'll get you out of here with this. I personally enjoyed this Monday watching Jeff's press conference. How refreshing was it to sit there and visibly see that your head coach was pissed off about the way that last week went and you could tell, I don't know if you could tell, I could tell from watching that, that these guys had a long bye week and it just it it felt like you know Jeff was was still angry 
and, and ready to come out and and prove something this week. And you could tell that that he probably gave it to the guys uh, this week, and and they probably had a a, a difficult bye week to say the least. Oh yeah, no, I, I could definitely tell. I mean, it wasn't super super obvious, but just because I've been to all of Jeff's press mm-hmm. conferences, it had a different tone. Be, yeah, it, it had a different tone. It had a different vibe. His body language was a little bit different. He's he's not like super cheery, but he has enough moments in some of these pressures where he like he'll crack a joke every once in a while. He was having none of that. Yeah, on Monday. He, he I, you could tell that he was still very much pissed off from how the pit game went, and. You, and I didn't get nearly the same feeling from – oh, I got a little bit of that feeling from Jamari and TJ, who we spoke to on Monday. But you could tell that, you know, they were they were pissed, too, that they lost. They wanted, they wanted to refocus and kind of hone in and get back on track. So I, I'm not nervous at all that they're going to have, like, some sort of letdown or be unprepared for this moment. Absolutely. All right, Matt, buddy, I appreciate it. Thank you for stopping by hanging out with us. And uh, I'm sure we will see you out there on Saturday afternoon at LNN. Oh, yeah, you'll definitely see me out there. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Take care. Matt McGavick, SI.com, Louisville Report. It did feel different watching the press conference on Monday. It did. You could tell. And and Matt's right, you know, Jeff for the most part is pretty stoic anyway. Uh, but he will crack a joke every once in a while. But there was there was no laughing, there was no joking, there was n- none of that. Like you can tell that it was a difficult bye week, and there was a lot of a lot of soul searching and a lot of self scouting and a lot of uh, probably some long practices during the bye week as well. Yeah, that's what happens when you lose on the road at Pitt right after you beat Notre Dame, and mm-hmm. he talked about holding on to that Notre Dame game a little long. I Oof. think he might have snapped them back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity a little bit. So I, I think I think what Jeff Brom did, I, I, you're right, though. I think he was stoic this week. I think he did a pretty good job of just staying even-keeled. and mm-hmm. he, You could tell that this is serious, and I think he's drilled it in their heads like, hey, you, you saw North Carolina lose to Virginia, right? I think that's great, I think that's a way. big part of it. I think he told them about it. You know, as a coach, you don't always like to talk about other teams and mm-hmm. other outcomes. He had to bring that up because oh, yeah. now they're playing for something different than if North Carolina was still undefeated. The thought process is very different. Now all their goals are still in front of them, and mm-hmm. I'm sure he reminded them of that. I don't think they were just sitting around watching football, taking, you know, drinking margaritas during the <laughs> bye week. I think no. they were actually out busting their butts in practice and I, I don't think it was an easy week for him in fact I'm sure some of the guys are probably happy that they're playing a game this week instead of you know we have a ton of free time now we're just going to scrimmage I think that was about as physical and tough of a bye week as they could have so I think they're going to be ready to go I'd be stunned if they come out flat against Duke yeah I, I don't expect them to come out flat and I think that you could you could make a compelling argument that I could listen to for this is going to be a really close game, which I think you and I both agree. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a close game. It's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, it's going to be a defensive battle because you're dealing with two very good defenses. Um, so I think you can make the argument for that, and a lot of people are going to agree with that. There's also an argument to be made that Louisville comes out and just busts Duke. Yeah. 
that that's certainly on the table, especially if Duke doesn't have Riley Leonard. And mm-hmm. we saw what happened in the fourth quarter against Florida State. They broke off some long plays. I think two of their touchdowns were 45 yards or longer. Yeah. And Louisville at home this year has been very good at explosive plays. And Absolutely. That's an element to their game that I'm not sure Duke's offense necessarily has. So I think that could be a big benefit for the Cards. Yeah, I think for Duke, this one, they want to keep it close because I don't think Duke is built to win a track meet. No. A Duke is not built to match score for score. Uh, Louisville is matched or is built to match you score for score when it's not a monsoon and they're not turning the ball over seven times. Uh, but but Duke is not built for that. So you could make the argument, and I would listen to it, that Louisville just comes out in this game on Saturday afternoon and Duke has to pay for all of Pittsburgh's sins. Especially. And just beat, beat them into submission. Um, I would be surprised, but you could make the argument and I would listen to it. Yeah, the over-under for this game is 46.5. I think that's about right yeah, for this I kind think, of yeah. game. Um, but I think it could matter that Duke had to expend a lot of energy playing Florida State. That was a tough loss in a game that they thought they really had a chance and they had one going into the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Maybe that took something out of them where Louisville got to – I don't know if they got to rest up necessarily, but they got an opportunity to lick their wounds. They got an opportunity to regroup. So, yeah, I think if either team does a blowing out of the other, I think there's a much better chance that Louisville blows out Duke. I don't think that's going to happen, though. I do. I don't see a blowout. No, I don't either. All right, so let's do this. Let's uh, put a bow here on our number one. When we come back for our number two, uh, we'll get to some of your texts. Uh, Zach and I have to give you our picks, our locks for the week. We've also got... Uh, Chris Hatfield's Lock of the Week that we will give you as well. And we will keep diving into this one, this massive top 20 matchup coming up on Saturday between the Cards and Duke. Hour number two of LSL is coming up next. Keep it locked right here at 93.9 The Ville. Welcome back in hour number two, Louisville Sports Live. I love that. Zachy C on the ones and twos, bringing it back with a classic from Snoop D-O-Double-G and Dr. Dre. One and two and three to the foe, mm. you know. I love it. I love it. I love it. You guys know how to get in touch with us. 8150 is the number. 3831 is the text line. Texture says, what will Louisville's game plan look like for this weekend? I think offensively, if Jawar Jordan is healthy, which we presume that he is based on his posting on the uh, on the Instagram uh, earlier this evening. The Instagram. The Instagram. Uh, I believe that you're going to get a steady dose of him. I think you're going to get a steady dose of all of the running backs, really. I think Maurice Turner is going to get touches. Isaac Garendo is going to get touches. Jaws is going to get touches. Uh, and I think it's going to be the short to intermediate passing game, not only to get Jack comfortable, but also because I think that's what Duke's going to give you. Yes. So it's going to be Louisville methodically moving the ball down the field, uh, giving the ball to George Jordan, letting him make plays, and I think they're going to 
Louisville's going to take their shots. They're always going to take their shots. And at some point, Jeff Brom is just going to go, you know what? I like my guys one-on-one versus your guys one-on-one. And, you know, Jamari Thrash is going to win his his share of those battles. He's going to lose some, too. But because Duke is one of the best coverage teams in the ACC when it comes to defending passes. I mean, they have the be- one of the best pass defenses in, in the conference. So, But Louisville's going to have their opportunities, especially in the second half, if the running game works the way that we hope that it will, and they're able to wear Duke down. They're able to do what Florida State did, where they went 93 yards and kept that Duke defense on the field for what seemed like an entire quarter. If Louisville can do that, they're going to have their opportunities in the second half to take shots. Yeah, I think they're going to come out and run the ball. I think they're going to try and get Jawar Jordan involved early on because he really wasn't involved against Pitt due to mm-hmm. injury, and he's had a couple weeks to rest up. And I think you're going to see potentially uh, a dump off to Jawar Jordan out of the backfield, maybe a quick screen or a slant to Jamari Thrash to give those guys a chance with the ball in their hands in open space so that they can make a man miss. And as we know, they can turn it into a 15-yard gain or they can turn it into a 65-yard touchdown. So I think he's going to give his playmakers the opportunity to make guys miss. I think they're going to come out and establish that offensive line. But what that's also going to do is it's going to make those safeties creep up. So yep. they're all going to be on the line of scrimmage, and that's when Jack Plummer's going to go play action, and he's going to throw a post route to a Hig- Huggins-Bruce or to Jamari Thrash, that Chris Bell. That's when they're going to start to take advantage of those one-on-one opportunities. But you do that by running the ball early on this game. And I think one of the misconceptions people had about Jeff Brom teams is that they threw the ball all over the place 50, 60 times. That's not what this team is. This mm-hmm. team is a run-first team, and – Part of that's because he's got, he's got the best running back he's ever had in his coaching career. You know, he didn't really have a great running back, running back at Purdue. Rondale Moore, I guess, was a wide receiver who played running back at times. Yeah. But he's got a legitimate running game, so I think he's going to ride that. And I think the best strategy for Louisville to win, Jack Plummer threw 52 times against Pitt. I don't know if he's going to throw the ball 30 times against Duke. Yeah, I don't think that, that is, that's the game plan. And you saw Florida State do it to Duke last week in that second half. You saw Florida State go with some play action and hit some deep bombs down the field and get some guys running wide open in this defense. So you can do that. Now, I've kind of been wondering about this, and and I'm going to get your opinion on it, Zach. Mm-hmm. It felt like in that second half, Florida State just out-athleted Duke. It felt like they had the better athletes – at the skill positions, maybe not offensive, defensive line, but at the skill positions, it just felt like Florida State had the edge. Yeah, that's kind of the feeling that I got because in the trenches, the game was pretty even. Yeah. It's just, I mean, Florida State won that game in February as much as they did in mm-hmm. October because the recruiting classes and with the transfer portal guys, I definitely think they out-athleted Duke. And Can Louisville do that? That's my question. Yeah. Can Louisville do that? Do you think, when you look at it on paper, does can Louisville out-athlete Duke in the second half of this game. I think that's the whole story to the game. That's the whole key is can Jamari Thrash and can Jawar Jordan out-athlete these guys because I think the most explosive receiver in this game plays for Louisville. I think the most explosive running back in this game plays for Louisville. Mm -hmm. If Riley Leonard's healthy, I think the better quarterback might play for Duke. So does that kind of wash out or whatever? But I do think Louisville has the opportunity to out-athlete Duke in the second half. I do think they've got more explosive ability than Duke has. And we also we talked about you know getting the ball to Jamari Thrash, getting the ball to Kevin Coleman and Jimmy Calloway and and Chris Bell. We also need to talk about these guys need to catch the football. Yeah, like there were several opportunities in that game against Pitt, and we've seen it in games this season where 
you know, Jack has his issues, but when Jack throws the football and puts some touch on it and, and throws a dime and you drop the ball or you don't lay out for it, like, that's not on Jack. That's on you as a wide receiver. Well, the second interception Plummer threw went off the receiver's hands. Yes. It was slightly behind him, but that's a ball that you expect your receiver to catch. Exactly. Like, I, I want to see that stat come into play in football just in general. I want to see, like, this wide receiver's drop caused the interception, not have the pick go to the quarterback, right. but have it go to the receiver. Right. they yeah, got to yeah, come yeah. up with something. Yeah, so I think that that's as much a factor in this game as anything else, especially when you're in these tight games, which we both agree that this is probably going to be a tight game. So when you're in these tight games and you know what Duke is going to do, you know Duke is going to know where Jamari Thrash is and they're going to know where Jawar Jordan is at all times defensively. So who else is going to step up? So who's yeah, and who's going to be open? Yep. Because if you're Duke and you're doubling or you're you're moving coverage or you're bracketing Jamari Thrash, then Kevin Coleman's going to be open. Chris Bell's going to be open. AHB, if he's out there, he's going to be open. Somebody else is going to be open. Can the offensive line give Jack time, and can Jack go through his progression and find the open man. That's been an issue at times this season where Jack has tried to thread the needle and he's got a guy, he's got a check down, or he's got a guy a few yards past the first down marker that is wide open, standing there making a sandwich, and you're throwing to Jamari Thrash, who's in double coverage. Yeah, he's got to trust his uh, options. He's got to trust his reads. He's got to trust his progressions. And we've seen this. It's not just happened when it's been a collapsing pocket. He's had clean pockets where he's mm-hmm. thrown the ball at people's feet before or he's yes. made the wrong read. Like He's got to make the right read. He's got to go through his progressions, and he's got to trust somebody other than Thrash and Jordan because if we're going to keep bringing him up, that means certainly the Duke coaching staff keeps bringing him up in film study, so it's going to have to be one of those other guys that makes a difference. And what I'm interested to see, it's an off-the-field kind of standpoint, mm-hmm. I want to see what the crowd is like because we saw it against Notre Dame. That is about as good of a crowd as Louisville has had in a really long time. I think you're going to get – I don't think you're going to get quite that, but you're going to get something maybe a step below. It's not going to be much, but you got a top-20 game – you got a home game. It's late October, three thirty, nationally televised, and your ACC title hopes are there. I think this crowd's going to be electric. Can we just talk about first of all that three thirty is elite? Like that is. I think it's the best starting time it in is, college football. Yes, it is my favorite start time in all of college football. I love a night game just as much as anybody else. Yes, uh, your your boy is thirty now. And and, <laughs> so am I. and night exactly night games during the week are not as cool as they were when we were 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. Well, Lil Zach was at Bowling Green and we had Tuesday Maction and it was perfect Absolutely. because it gave us an excuse to go out on a Tuesday yeah. or Wednesday night. You were blacked out Tuesday <laughs> night. Maction just hammered. Always. It's it's not as fun when you've got responsibilities and a mortgage and, and a everything job. And, a, and, a, and a whole job. Yeah. So. Uh, the Thursday night game against Virginia, your boy is dreading that because it's gonna be a long. It's a long night, and then you know you got post game, and then you got to wake up and you got to drag your butt into work on Friday morning. So a lot of call offs. I'm expecting that day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm with you though. Like noon seems too early. I hate noon. Three I, I, fire noon into the moon. I hate. I absolutely hate noon. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of it, and as you know. As a Big Ten guy, we're locked into that. That's big right. Ten, big, 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 noon. big noon. I mean, it gets massive ratings, so that's why they're doing it. Of course. But, uh, night game I like, but 3.30 you get the start of the game under the sun, 
and at the end of the game, it's basically a night game, yeah. and you get the opportunity to watch the 12 o'clock games, and then you get your game, and then you get to go home and watch the Saturday night football mm-hmm. game, or this week, you get to watch Kentucky play Tennessee, or you get to watch Ohio State play Wisconsin, or there's usually a big primetime game, so you 3.30 is the perfect sandwich in between two elite windows, and I, I think 3.30 is the best start time for a football game. Oh, it's beautiful. So You don't have to get up super early to tailgate. No. But you don't also, you're also not getting out of there at midnight either. So the way that it will work in our house this weekend for, for Saturday, um, obviously myself, Mark Blankenbaker, we will get things going for you guys at noon. We will have your Coors Light Louisville football pregame show live from LNN Stadium, from Card March. Uh, so you guys come hang out with us starting at noon. We'll have you from noon to 2 before we turn it over to Paul and Jody and the gang uh, for the network coverage, which starts at 2 o'clock and takes you all the way through to game time. And then, of course, the broadcast right here on 93.9 The Ville. So because of that, uh, the the lynches will probably be up and ready to go at about 8 o'clock Saturday morning. Uh, have a little brekkie at home, little, little breakfast at brekkie. home. We'll get a little, get a little brekkie. No kegs and eggs. You know, no, no keg. No, see, dude, thirty. Like no kegs, <laughs> no keg. No, no keg. If I, if I keg an egg, then there will be no three thirty kickoff. There will be no there pregame. Will be, there will be a nap, and <laughs> and then I will see you at halftime. There you go. Uh, yeah. So so there'll be breakfast, little coffee, uh, and then we'll and then we'll head out. We'll do pregame, and then uh, and yeah, we'll we'll go to the game, enjoy it. We'll do post game. Get home about nine o'clock, and uh, sit back, relax, and, and enjoy. Uh, you know, hopefully, uh, good old Rocky Top, <laughs> Rocky Top, Tennessee, uh, handling business, and uh, just get to sit back and enjoy that. Well, during the off season, we were doing songs and all that. Are you going to come in here and sing Rocky Top at Tennessee beats you Kentucky next week? <laughs> you better believe, hundred percent. By the way, this is the first time in three or four weeks that there's no layover between the two games like when it was uh louisville notre dame and kentucky georgia mm-hmm. that was like a 30 minute time difference because kentucky started at seven louisville started at 7 30 uh when it was missouri kentucky and louisville pit pit louisville started at 6 30 kentucky started at 7 30 so yep. you get the 3 30 game leading into seven o'clock so if you're a football fan in the state of kentucky you can just put away the remote and keep it on espn because they're showcasing your state in back-to-back games so nothing wrong with the having both games at different times. We don't always have to have the layover every week. Makes it easier on us that have to talk about both of them. Absolutely. So right now, according to Wave 3, we have a 30% chance of scattered showers on Saturday. And we are looking at a high of, what we got here, 71 degrees? I believe, yeah. High of 71 Scattered sh- showers and thunderstorms, thirty percent chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm. Getting. Take it. We'll take it. And it looks like most of the weather will be in the evening, right around the end of the game, or a little bit after that. Yeah. So you may get a little little soggy ride home, but the bulk of the game should be fine. Yeah, you'll live with a little rain on your drive home because I mean, I don't know about you, and I haven't lived down here long enough to say, but. When I lived in Ohio, people, as soon as you had a single raindrop, it's like people forgot the rules of Can't driving. Drive. Can't drive. Oh, like, Nobody here. H- how can you not drive in rain? It's not like it's snow and you're sliding all Dude. over the place. It's just a little bit of rain. You shouldn't lose all ability to function a motor vehicle Dude. because of a couple raindrops. Welcome to Louisville. 
It, welcome it, it's, to the Midwest. Well, welcome to the, mid, the yeah, South, well, apparently. Welcome to the South-ish. I was going to say, what are Midwest. What is Louisville? Is Louisville it the, depends on who you ask. I don't classify it as a – because my Midwest friends call it a southern city. I still like to say it's like half Midwest. Like It, it is. It has an identity crisis. It, it doesn't it know does. what it wants to be. It has. Dude, we have an identity crisis in our own state. Like We, we don't associate with the rest of the state. That's true. Like, it should really be the state of Louisville and then the rest of Kentucky. Um. Yeah, it's it's weird. I, I don't quite know. Yes, I guess technically uh, we are the South. Um, but go to Tennessee and tell me if if we're the South. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. like, go spend the weekend in Knoxville and you tell me if Louisville's in the South. Yeah. Go go, go spend the weekend in uh, in Dothan, Alabama, and you tell me if Louisville's in the South. I'd be interested to see if the people of Tennessee think Kentucky's a Southern state. The people of Tennessee don't know how to get over the border. So <laughs> The people of Tennessee probably can't spell the word south. Hey, there you go. Uh, let's see. Texter says, uh, bah, bah, bah. I think Renato Brown, I think, the, I think the Renato Brown loss will be huge going forward. Three-year starter. Uh, his size is near impossible to replace. Texter follows that up with, I guess, according to McGavick, I stand corrected. <laughs> so, so, yes, Matt McGavick out here, just common fears uh, tonight on the show. Texter says, uh, if we keep it going on the ground, mostly we will dominate. Uh, you know, I kind of think I don't know about dominate, uh, but I definitely think that Louisville's game plan will be: we're going to run the ball, and then we're going to run the ball some more, and then we're going to run the ball again, and then we're going to throw the ball, and yeah. we're going to take. Louisville's just going to have to take what they can be aggressive and they can be obstinate when it comes to running the football. They can't be that way when it comes to throwing the ball, I think, on Saturday. I think they have to get into third and three, third and four to give them the opportunity to run or pass. And Mm -hmm. I think the biggest thing, as I mentioned earlier, Jack Plummer, don't be a hero. Let your guys on the outside be the hero. Don't try it on third and five. We don't need a 25-yard completion. Just take the six yards that are right in front of you, take the check down, move the chains, and then you can start your offense all over again. Just Mm -hmm. play within yourself. Yeah, I think you can dictate terms in the run game. You can't dictate terms of the pass game on Saturday. You're going to take whatever Duke's going to give you in the pass game. But the more you run the ball, the more effective you are at running the ball, the more it's going to open things up for you. This is a a classic run the ball to open up the pass. That's exactly what Louisville's going to have to do on Saturday. That's what Florida State did last week. They, their mm-hmm. explosives didn't really come until the fourth quarter. No. They had to remain patient, and I know it must be like, oh, we're Florida State. Why are we struggling with Duke? beside the fact that Duke's pretty good, but they stayed within themselves. You didn't see Jordan Travis panic and try to force a couple of balls that weren't there. You didn't see Mike Norvell change his entire offensive game plan. I think you, if you're Jeff Brom, if you're uh, Jack Plummer, you've just got to stay within yourself, manage the game, don't try to force things that aren't there, and eventually the explosive opportunities will present themselves, but you've got to hit them. you got to hit the explosives when, they are, when there are opportunities, when those chances get open themselves, you've got to connect. And Travis was able to use his legs not so much early in the game, but again, as has been a trend in that second half, he was able to use his legs. He was able to get out, run the ball, get out on the edge. I'm not by any means comparing Jack Plummer to Jordan Travis as far as his ability to run the ball, but Jack has a little bit of an ability to get out and scramble and run the ball, and I think he can utilize that this weekend 
to get out on the edge, to do some play action, to to keep it and, and tuck it and run and go get a couple of yards, and and keep Duke guessing. Yeah, that's what Louisville. That's what Louisville needs to do as best they can is to is to make Duke guess and not allow Duke to get comfortable, especially offensively. Jack Plummer's running game needs to be third and three. You got four yards right in front of you. Scramble for the yeah. first down. Restart your offense, as I mentioned earlier. Maybe if you have one of those uh, read option kind of plays, maybe keep one just to make the defense hesitate for a slight second the next time you hand to Jaws Jordan and all he needs is a slight second and boom he goes 60 yards for a touchdown so that could be a part of your running arsenal Jack Plummer is not going to win any 100 meter dashes or no. anything like that but if you can just be an effective runner and make them think about it that's good enough we haven't seen any trick plays from Jeff Brom in a couple of weeks do we see one Saturday against Duke I think that's certainly out there but I also think that their offense has been good enough that they don't need the trick plays like Mm -hmm. we've seen it at Purdue when they beat Ohio State in 2018 when they beat Michigan State in 2021 they largely did it on the back of you know against Ohio State they faked a field goal against Michigan State they had a couple of throwback plays if your offense is that good you don't always necessarily need the trick play and the key is when to call the trick play because if you're rolling offensively you don't want to get yourself behind the sticks because you're trying to double pass and all of a sudden it's 2nd and 24 because your wide receiver gets sacked because he can't throw the ball away. So you you got to time it out, but I wouldn't be surprised if a trick play happened to kind of reignite the offense if they kind of bogged down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that I'm going into the game saying, okay, watch, it's going to happen here. This is going to be the trick play. They're going to fake punt because they haven't needed it so far. So you're absolutely right. Let's um, want to get to know Duke. We'll get we'll give you just a couple of stats on the Blue Devils here. Uh Riley Leonard obviously their leading passer. 86 completions on 142 attempts so far this season. Two interceptions, just three touchdowns, 981 yards on the season. His backup, I believe you can help me with this one Zach. Is it Beeline? Is that what we're going with? B E L I N. Yeah, it's uh Beline actually. Beline, okay. So Beline the backup there uh 13 completions 26 attempts one interception three touchdowns uh those three touchdowns came in that win against nc state had 232 yards so far on the season uh we talked about it earlier waters and more uh sounds like a law firm but it's not it's duke's running backs uh they're two-headed monster they've got back there waters 465 yards on the season more 414 yards on the season uh, Waters with nine touchdowns, more with three touchdowns. Riley Leonard also four touchdowns on the ground uh, with his legs. He's got 339 rushing yards for the Blue Devils this season. And Nat mentioned him. Uh, the best receiver that they've got is Calhoun. He has been a stud. Seven. Uh, he's played in all seven games this season. 25 receptions, 379 yards, averaging 15 yards a catch, and has two touchdowns on the season. He's able to get things going for duke he's really their one explosive he weapon is. his longest play this year 69 yards yes pretty yeah. nice yeah <laughs> what a play <laughs> what a play i, I saw the opportunity Had to do it. And, and, you, and you took it and i'm glad that you took Had it. To do it uh freeman for the for duke on the defensive side of the ball 56 tackles two and a half tackles for loss uh half a sack and an interception this season uh stinson as well is a stud for them uh, they Duke overall just by the numbers they're averaging 29 points a game offensively they're giving up 13 points a game that defense is stout we've said it over and over and over 198 yards averaging on the ground 
5.6 yards per rush attempt so far this season. 18 rushing touchdowns for the Dukies. And they're only giving up 136 yards on the ground. Uh, They are averaging 173 passing yards per game. Uh, seven yards per attempt, six passing touchdowns. That's not how Duke's going to beat you. Duke's going to beat you on the ground running the football. They're giving up 179 yards per game through the air. We talked about where that ranks in terms of overall passing yards allowed. Duke is 16th in the nation in passing yards allowed. And they played Notre Dame. They've played Clemson. I mean, mm-hmm. they played Florida State, as we mentioned last week. They're not doing this against bad teams no. like Michigan's schedule, for instance. But, I mean, I, the other thing I'll say about Duke, they're really well coached. Mike Elko, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. They won nine games last year. This is not a cute story or anything like that. This is a pretty good program. Mike Elko is one of the most underrated coaches in the country. And I'm really interested to see that matchup because Elko is a defensive guy yes. going against Jeff Brom, who we know is an offensive mastermind. So that chess match, I think, is going to be fascinating. I think so, too. Uh, Louisville is Duke's fourth nationally ranked opponent that they will face this season in their first eight games. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot. And they still got to play North Carolina, too. Yeah. So they'll have five. Absolutely. The last time the Blue Devils faced four ranked opponents in the same season was in 2013. They played number 16, Virginia Tech, number 24, Miami, number one, Florida State, and number 20, Texas A&M. Duke is currently 1-2 and two on the year against top 25 opponents. And the Blue Devils are facing back-to-back top 20 opponents uh, during the same season for the first time since that 2013 year where they played Florida State, uh, number one Florida State, and number 20 Texas A&M. This and they played in the ACC championship game that year against Jameis Winston and uh, Florida State. That's that right, Florida, they did. That Florida State team went on and won the national title. That was David Cutcliffe and maybe his best coaching job. Yep. So it, that now that now I feel old because their last game was uh, Johnny Manziel's last college game. Oh, and that, uh, that that's Peach right, Bowl. in the Peach Bowl. That's right. And Texas A&M had that big comeback to beat him. Wow. Now, now I feel old. I forgot about that. Yep. I remember watching that game. Oh, yeah. Um, this will be the fourth time that Duke and Louisville have squared off on the gridiron. The Cardinals are 3-0 and against the Blue Devils and have pretty much blown them out uh, every single time. Yeah, but this is easily the best Duke team that they will have played mm-hmm. since they joined the ACC. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, and I, I misspoke earlier. That game in 2016, Duke did not win that game. Louisville won that game, but it was 24-14. That's right. Yeah, Louisville that year had a stretch where they won a couple of games, like 24-14. They beat Virginia 32-25 on a last-second touchdown yes. to Jalen Smith. Like, they had a... A beautiful back-shoulder throw yeah. by Lamar Jackson oh, yeah. to Jalen Smith in the corner of the end zone. Like, after they lost that Clemson game, I remember they had a slog for about a month where they won a lot of ugly games, and that was leading up yeah. to how the season ended up finishing which yeah. we don't we're not gonna we, get we, we need not revisit that no. uh, but louisville and duke first squared off in durham uh louisville won that one in 2002 40 to 3 uh they faced us in 2016 they won 24 to 14 then of course we all remember 2021 the last trip to durham uh louisville just blew their doors off 62 22 uh malik cunningham i think is still uh, scoring touchdowns in he Durham did, as we speak. Yeah, he, he just scored again. Um, so it's going to be, hopefully Louisville can stretch this thing to 4-0 and o against the, the Blue Devils. And uh, and we will see. It's going to be an interesting game. It's going to be a fun game. That is for sure. We will get into more of it as we move on. But we need to make our picks, Zach. Yes, we do. We need to make our picks. So I will go ahead and give you guys, uh, Chris Hatfield could not join us tonight. 
uh, but he did text in with what his lock of the week. Now, mind you, he is on a heater. He is, what, 6-0 and so far? Six straight? Yes, yeah, six straight. So if you are playing Chris's picks, then you are cashing winners. Uh, so right now, his play is Louisville minus four. That is what he is going with. Mm. So... Right now, Louisville, that is the that is the current line right now. If you're looking anywhere, the over-under is 48.5, but Louisville, a four-point favorite. So, Chris likes the cards yeah. as a four-point favorite in this one. Personally, I'm not touching this game. Um, I'll play the under 46.5. Is it 46 or it's 46? God, my eyes. It's 46.5. Sorry, not 48. I'll play the under. I think it's like a 24-20 kind of game. Maybe okay. a 24-17 kind of game. I'm not touching the spread, but I I'll, have, I'll play under. I have figured out over this last week of betting on games for the first time in my life that betting the under has got to be the worst hell. Oh, it's terrible. On earth. It, 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 and watching the Patriots game over the weekend, uh, obviously my wife, big Patriots fan, uh, she was watching the game and and we had somewhere to be Sunday afternoon so she had to you know go do her hair or, or whatever so we get ready to leave and it was almost the end of the game and I am standing there in my living room screaming as the bills are on the goal line save the under <laughs> And of course they scored. So of course, and then the Patriots scored again. And the Patriots scored again, and they won. And she's like, "Isn't it great? We won." I'm like, "No, they just cost me like thirty five bucks, which <laughs> doesn't seem like a lot." But I was gonna you know, say, like, when it's bonus money, everything is a lot. You yeah. know, when you're playing on house money, everything's a lot. So, well, there's a reason Vegas has a bunch of tall buildings out there, and why people absolutely. continue to go there. Absolutely, they know a lot. They know more than we do. So, Chris's lock of the week: Louisville minus four. Um, Play that one, and if you're keeping up with Chris, then you could be cashing a winner. So, Zach, where are you going this weekend? Where are you laying your shekels here? Whew. Yeah, this is a tough week for uh, predictions. I'm going to go Oklahoma-Kansas. I'm going to take Kansas in the points. Oklahoma's favored by 10. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Kansas will win the game, but their quarterback situation should be resolved. Jalen Daniels, uh, whether it's him or Jason Bean, those guys have played pretty well as of late. Kansas has covered six of the seven spreads they've had this year. I think at home, one of the biggest home games in program history, I think Kansas covers, and I think they've got a chance to win that game in the fourth quarter. So I'm going to take Kansas plus 10 against Oklahoma. I'm also going to take BYU plus 17.5 against Texas. I don't think they're going to win the game, but no Quinn Ewers. Arch Manning in his first game as a starter, it sounds like. I don't think BYU is going to win, but I think that's a massive spread to try to cover. Oregon-Utah is a tough one because Oregon's favored by 6.5. That's a tough atmosphere up at Rice-Eccles Stadium. I just think Utah's lack of offense without Cam Rising, I think this is finally where it gets them. Mm-hmm. And I think Oregon with Bo Nix go on the road and win this game. I think their defenses are about the same, but I trust the veteran quarterback, Bo Nix. I think Oregon is a top 10 team, maybe a top 6 or 7 team. I really like them even after the Washington loss. So I'm going to take Oregon minus the 6.5 to cover the spread and beat Utah. I've got a couple here as well. And if you remember, I went with, Houston last week to cover and they were a bad spot away from having a chance to tie or maybe win that they were I did not bet that I gave the pick here but then I convinced myself to not take it when I got home so I did not take Houston to cover and I should have because they had an opportunity Uh, but so I am going back to the well uh, with the Cougars and I'm actually betting them 
this week. I like Houston Moneyline uh, in their game coming up this week at Kansas State. I don't hate it. I haven't been overly impressed with what I've seen from Kansas State, and Houston has been knocking on the door of a couple of games this season. They they were so close last week. They had the big comeback over against West Virginia a couple weeks ago. So I'm liking what I'm seeing from Houston. So I'm taking Houston money line against uh, Kansas State. I'm also staying in the Big 12. I'm taking West Virginia money line at Central Florida. Yeah, that's interesting because Central Florida almost beat Oklahoma last week. John Rice Plumley played well. They did. I wonder if there's a bit of a letdown there. Yep. Plus, West Virginia having lost two in a row, they can't, They really need a bounce back if they're going to make a bowl game. So, yeah, I, I could see that. They do. So, I, I like West Virginia money line. And then I don't think they're going to win. Mm-hmm. But North Carolina coming off that loss to Virginia and then having to go to Georgia Tech. I like Georgia Tech to cover the spread is 11 and a half. Yeah. So I took Georgia Tech plus 11 and a half. Okay. I, I could see North Carolina just going in there and stomping Georgia Tech, kind of like what we talked about, the factor of Louisville maybe uh, making Duke pay for the pit sins. I could absolutely see North Carolina making Georgia mm-hmm. Tech pay for their sins against Virginia. So I'm kind of leaning more toward North Carolina blowing I could out. see it too. I could see it too, but I could also see North Carolina sleepwalking. I'll give you another one. I think Washington minus 26 and a half against Stanford. Stanford, I know they came back and beat Colorado, but don't let anybody fool you and think that Stanford's a good team. I almost took Stanford to cover. Washington did not play well last week against Arizona State, and I think Michael Penix bounces back and has a huge game on the road. I think Washington dominates Stanford. Dude, is there any fan base more miserable than Indiana? Watching Michael Penix just oh, man. Yeah. do what he's doing at Washington. I was going to say, I thought you were just going to stop and say, is there any fan base more <laughs> I mean, annoyed than Indiana? And you could probably just leave it at that. You could just leave. Normally, you could just end the conversation there. But, I mean, watching him do what he's doing at Washington and knowing that basically Washington's going to have an opportunity if they run through the Pac 12. They're going to play in the playoff. Yeah, yeah. Like I had them win in the Pac-12, and I had Penix win in the Heisman in preseason, so staying on that. But, yeah, if you're an Indiana fan, look, Penix got hurt in his time there. He had a couple of major injuries, and mm-hmm. it's just – I think it's one of those it's better that he went to Washington because Indiana's offensive line was getting him killed. They're, Indiana's offensive line has not ever really been all that good. Yeah. And now he finally gets some wide receivers to play with, and he's got Kalen DeBoer as his head coach, who was his offensive coordinator at Indiana in 2020. Remember, that they had that great COVID year. Yep. I think it's probably the, for the best that Penix went to Washington, and you see what he's doing now. He's going to be a first-round pick. There's so, no doubt about it. They talked about this a little bit. I guess it was maybe on one of the on – the, can't remember what game it was. Do we have a Tuesday night game this week? I believe we did. Was that? No, it was last week. Sorry. It was last week, last Wednesday, because it was uh, Marshall and JMU. Yeah, yeah. We were in the studio. We were in the studio. Yeah, yeah, because you had a. uh, That was my first win. Yeah, because you had a Marshall guy anytime touchdown. I think it was a quarterback. Yeah, I had. No, I had a JMU's quarterback anytime touchdown. That's right. Yeah, it was JMU's. Um, So I was watching it. They talked about it on that game, and then they talked about it this weekend uh, on another game that I was watching. If Florida State, Oklahoma, Georgia, Washington, Ohio State, 
and normally I would say Michigan, but Michigan Ohio State's going to sort itself out. Right. Uh, but that that collection of teams stay the course. Yeah, we had this conversation on Sunday morning hangover and are undefeated. Yep. Who's getting left out? My gut tells me it's Kirk Herbstreit will die on the hill that it that Florida State gets in just because they beat LSU. No. And that is the strangest hill to die on, in my opinion. LSU's not a great win no, this year. No, they're not. I mean, LSU's good. Sure. But they're a two-loss team in the SEC. So you're going to tell me like beating LSU is better than Ohio State beating Notre Dame, or you're going to tell me that it's better than or Ohio State Texas, beating Michigan? Or you know, Texas beating Alabama, or Oklahoma mm-hmm. beating Texas, or something like Right. I think if all five, I don't think it's going to happen because no. the only time it's ever happened that all five of them even had one loss was 2014. That was the Ohio State Baylor TCU debate, the, mm-hmm. the famous one then. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's never happened again since. So my guess is it's probably not going to. But if it was a collection of undefeateds or a collection of one loss, I think the ACC is probably last in the pecking order because I think the national perception is Clemson's down, Miami's okay, Florida State's good. But nobody, like, as good as we think Louisville is, mm-hmm. the national perception probably isn't quite there. And I think the Pac 12 is getting in this year. Pac 12 has been the best conference Swan in the country. <laughs> the SEC will probably get in, because, even though the SEC is very overrated this year outside of Georgia. I don't really think there's an elite team in that conference. Yeah, I think you can make the argument that the Big 12 is watered down, with the exception of Oklahoma, Texas. Yeah. No, I, I would certainly listen to that. I definitely think it's going to end up being Oklahoma, Texas, the Big 12 title game. The problem is. Oklahoma is undefeated, and if Texas beats Oklahoma, then Texas will have a win over Oklahoma and Alabama. They're they're getting in with a one one you loss. You think so? Yes, a one loss Texas. You think gets in? Yeah, I think so. I if the I it, just think the the relative, are you saying the rest of them are undefeated? I'm saying the rest of them are undefeated. Okay, then probably not. Okay, if it's if a if tiebreaker, Florida, Texas is going to win the tiebreaker over right. Florida State. So if Florida State is undefeated. Washington's undefeated. Ohio State's undefeated. Um, who else was it? Georgia. Georgia's undefeated. Texas has one loss. Then the and they're the Big Twelve champ. The undefeateds will get it. Okay, if that's the case. But if all of them are undefeated, what if Florida State loses in the ACC title game? Out. Florida State's out. If they don't win the ACC, they're out. We're if, not having this conversation. Okay. What if Ohio State loses in the Big Ten title? Well, if they lose in the Big Ten title game, that means they lose to somebody like Iowa, which. Come on, not happening. If Ohio State or hey, Michigan, you not, say that they're not losing to Iowa. Iowa, can't Iowa move the murder ball, cro- ball. Come on, Iowa can't move the ball across the street. Have you? <laughs> I, I'm convinced. Like that. What was it? Brian Ferentz coming into the year, he had to average 25 points yeah. a game to keep his job. Yeah. I'm not convinced. If you had Iowa out there with no defenders, if they were practicing against nothing but air for three hours, I'm not sure they could score four touchdowns. It's so bizarre to me to watch Iowa in the way Did that you, college football has changed so much. And and they're still acting like it's 1955. Yes, yes. Did you see the invalid fair catch or whatever they called last yes. week? Which was a terrible call. But the reason Iowa fans started throwing stuff on the field is because they knew, oh, crap, the Iowa offense is going out there. We're not scoring. Exactly. <laughs> that Their best chance was on special teams. But, no, I think... Right now, the order would probably be Big Ten. I think mm-hmm. the Big Ten's most likely to have an undefeated because I don't think Ohio State or Michigan is going to lose before that game. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think whoever wins that game is not going to lose the Big Ten title game. So I think no. one one of those two is going undefeated, and they're going to make the playoff. I don't know about Georgia. I just, 
I would probably still lean toward them going undefeated, if nothing else, because their schedule stinks. I mean, and, who, who are the, who's Georgia going to play in the in the SEC title game? Yeah, it's probably it's either going to be LSU Tennessee? or Alabama in the Gazette oh, yeah, division. Yeah, yeah. The only I'm thinking East and not the West. only regular season games that they have that might give them a test. Missouri, yes, I know. Missouri should have beaten them last year. They should. Missouri's pretty good this year, so they might give them a game at Tennessee's tough, but. They don't have Brock Bowers. No, and that's a, that's huge for for Georgia. Yeah, but I think. But yeah, they're going to get either LSU or Alabama in the in the SEC title game. And I would still at this moment take Georgia over. Now, both what if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC title game? Does, Does Al- Alabama get in? Yeah, if Alabama beats Georgia and they have one loss, yes, they're Alabama. They're getting in. Um, it's so, it would be so funny because we wrote them off for dead. Yeah, when they're struggling against USF. I still I don't think it's going to happen. I, think I don't Al- think it's going to. I happen. think Alabama could still lose against LSU, even though that game's at home. Mm. I and if they made it to the SEC title game against Georgia, I don't think they would be able to beat them either. The Pac-12 is getting one in. Well, it's either going to be should. Washington or Oregon, as they should. Yes, it's been um, the best conference all year. So the ACC this this weekend, we've got a loaded slate of ACC games this weekend, other than Duke and Louisville. What is the most compelling ACC matchup for you this weekend? We've got uh, Syracuse and Virginia Tech on Thursday night. We've got Florida State Wake, uh, UConn Boston College, the, the battle for the Northeast, um, Clemson and NC State, Pitt and Notre Dame, Virginia Miami, North Carolina Georgia Tech. Who of all those games? You know now I've officially made my dad nervous because he's a Notre Dame fan. I talked about how Pitt is the greatest team ever when they're playing <laughs> against good teams, and then when they play against Youngstown State, they can't do anything. They right. look like they've never played organized football. I don't think they're beating Notre Dame. Uh, Virginia-Miami, because I want to see if Virginia can follow up that win against North Carolina. Can they go on the road and yeah. beat Miami? Tony Elliott, I think, is actually doing a decent job considering the circumstances. That team's played a lot of close games this year. Really Miami have. is a 19-point favorite. I might take Virginia in the points in that game. Because, again, I don't trust Mario Cristobal as far as I can throw him. Mm-hmm. And I would not be surprised if that game is interesting going into the fourth quarter. Because, to be frank, of all these other matchups, the only one that can have a big impact, I guess, would be Georgia Tech against North Carolina. I don't see Wake Forest staying in with Florida State. Clemson and NC State, they're both kind of irrelevant at this point. So, by default, I'm going Virginia-Miami. is probably the most interesting game. I think, that, yeah, I think you're probably right. I would... Maybe turn an eyeball to Clemson NC State. You're gonna turn on the CW right before Gilmore Girls. <laughs> just on my in in the stadium on my phone, just uh, just watching watching the beginning of of Clemson NC State. No, did you see this last week? Speaking of the CW, did you see they had to cut short the winning interview with uh, Tony Elliott, the Virginia coach, because they had to get to the rerun of whatever their show was afterwards. <laughs> We've got Gossip Girl to get to. Wrap yeah. it up, Tony Come Elliott. Come on, Tony Elliott. I know you beat North Carolina. You beat a top 10 team. You beat <laughs> Mac Brown. But we got to show we got to show Gossip Girl here. Absolutely. We know what draw, that's what really gets the eyeballs. That's the moneymaker for us. Come on. Pretty Little Liars coming up next. Pretty Little Liars. I haven't I, heard that the name of that show in years. There you go. I'm just wondering, because the season has not gone the way either of these two teams planned, Clemson or NC State. It's been a letdown for both of them. So it just makes me wonder... Can either of them get off the mat and get energized and, and ready to play this game? Because this, this is going to be a game that's like, you remember the, the Frank Beamer meme? Oh, yeah, 0-0. Zero, zero, zero. Zero. Like this Clemson-NC State has that written 
all over you it. You think Dabo's going to be doing this? Dab- zero, yes. Zero. yes. Yes. Dabo's got his hands up for a 0-0 game going to overtime. Did you hear? Yeah, this is one where Dabo's going to, you know, God's NIL. They're going to bring their own us. guts to this one. <laughs> bring your own guts. Bring your own Bring your own guts. And, well, they need some of those steroids that they used back in 18 to help them win the national championship. Absolutely. Apparently that supply ran dry a long time oh ago. Oh, my gosh. All right, so we've put it off as long as we can, and I have been just – I'm waiting for this. So – we had some obviously everybody knows the news it's coming out with michigan and tonight there was some more information that trickled out uh about big 10 head coaches are meeting and talking and discussing what to do about michigan um i saw somewhere that there is verbiage in the bylaws of the big 10 that if you are busted for cheating in the way that Michigan has been, that being expelled from the conference is on the table. Do I think that Michigan gets kicked out of the Big Ten? Absolutely not. No chance. Uh, do I think that this could cost Jim Harbaugh his job? Possibly. I would be very surprised if Jim Harbaugh is the head coach at Michigan come the 2024 football season. Because remember, he was already suspended for three right. games because of what they called a cheeseburger, but in actuality it was recruiting during the COVID dead period, mm-hmm. you know, people like to twist the words of oh, that. Yeah. and now you know it's totally believable that the uh intern not intern let but him have it Zach. their sideline guy who makes fifty five thousand a year yeah he certainly can afford to pay all this money to go watch eight ohio state games and five georgia games and he went to oregon last year he went to tennessee last year they scouted every playoff opponent possible of course except tcu who hung 51 on him in the playoff game last year like <laughs> you trying to tell me that jim harbaugh doesn't know anything about this and you know he's now bragging about his close friendship with jay harbaugh john's brother how he's getting along with the coaches you know they the video of them turning and looking at the ohio state sideline the video of them going to all these games and are who has that kind of commitment to go to games that many games that don't involve your team yep. they scouted 12 of the other 13 Big Ten teams. I want to know who the one Big Ten team is that they didn't scout because I'd be insulted. Illinois. Rutgers. <laughs> Rutgers. Northwestern. <laughs> uh. But Greg Schiano said at halftime of the Rutgers game that he knew something was going on. Like, yeah. But what the sad thing about this, if you're a Michigan fan, you're really bad at this, first of all. And second of all, look at the teams you're playing this year. Who do you need to self-scout? Right. You're going to win these games 40 to nothing just by showing up. You don't need to cheat. You don't need any sign-stealing. Like, and that's what this is. What I are mean, you doing? Sign-stealing is one thing. Every team sign-steals. Every team. Clemson does it better than anybody else on the planet during a game. Yeah, Brian Day st- adjusted to that. Yes, they steal signs like nobody's business during the game. And if you're doing it during the game, that's just gamesmanship. Yeah, but change what, your signs. But yeah, Exactly. But what Michigan did is flat out cheating. We have been deceived, lied to, bamboozled. <laughs> you know the Stephen A. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That's what Michigan did. They flat out cheated, and they're bad at it too because everybody knew about it. And you didn't, you didn't burn the receipts. They just they found bu- all the receipts. He literally, as after this all came out, this started coming out last week. Yep. He bought. Two tickets to the Ohio State-Penn State game that just got played this Saturday on each sideline. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Like, if you're going to cheat, like, they always say, don't have it in writing. You know, that's why if if you're going to steal something, you pay for it in cash, not credit cards, so you don't have it in writing. Like, if you're going to cheat, don't leave a a trail of breadcrumbs that 
everybody can possibly find. And it just puts a pall over everything the rest of the season because how do you take anything Michigan does seriously? Yeah, absolutely. Like, Jim Harbaugh was this close to getting fired after the 2020 season, mm-hmm. after the COVID year. They, they went 2-4. and four. They didn't have anybody in the stands, so conveniently they couldn't have anybody go scout anybody. Right. And so it just so happens that this guy gets hired in 2021, and they start scouting people, and all of a sudden they are, have been the best team in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. It, pure coincidence, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I. I would like to go to eight Ohio State games a year and spend three thousand dollars in travel and tickets. Like, I, get hook me up with sign this guy. me up. I want to go to five Georgia games. Like, come on, man. Zach's like, I'd wear Michigan if I could go to eight Ohio State games a year. <laughs> no, there there was a. I'll wear the maize and blue. I don't. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> Let's not go too far with this. Um, but I don't know if you saw this during the Ohio State Penn State game. There was a guy in the horseshoe dressed in a Michigan pullover, like. You, you go to random sporting events, and there's always that one guy in the jersey of a team that isn't even playing in the game. Like, did could you, you be more obvious that you're the guy? Did you see the tweet from Jeremy Chadwell, uh, Liberty's head coach? No. Apparently, there were Michigan fans. There was like a couple, an old couple, at his game uh, last night when they played WKU. And uh, there were Michigan fans in the stands. And so he tweeted out a picture of it. And he was like... Uh, Am I seeing things, or were there Michigan people at our game yesterday? <laughs> I'm like, everybody is talking about it. And Jeff Brom was asked about it tonight and on he, his radio he show. He didn't say what he actually wanted to no, say. No, he didn't, and he told Paul Rogers as much. He was like, you know, you and I have talked about it uh, off air, and and I'll try to put my feelings into uh, in, into words uh, here on the show tonight. Because remember, they played... Uh, his Purdue team played Michigan in the Big Ten title game last year, and that was a more competitive game than people remember. Well, he said it. He said this is something that they have heard about when in the Big Ten for years. That oh, there has yeah. been smoke about this going on for years in the Big Ten. Like Jim Harbaugh, Michigan. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh has been a guy who thinks he's high and mighty, and I would never cheat the game and all that kind of stuff. And Michigan fans are. You know, every time somebody does something wrong, they always act like, oh, we're Michigan, we're morally superior. The Michigan man. The Michigan man crap, which I've always thought was stupid. Mm-hmm. Get, like, now you're struggling with your new identity. Like, last week it was, we didn't do this. Now it's everybody's doing this to, oh, no, this isn't that much evidence. And everybody sign steals. Like, if you think this is about sign stealing, then you're not paying <laughs> enough attention to what's actually coming out because this is going beyond sign stealing. Yeah. This is something that's been against the rules since 1994. Now, I do think they need to start putting radios and helmets like they do in the NFL. Right. I think that needs to be Jeff the solution. Jeff said that, too, as well tonight. That but. needs to be the solution. But Michigan, you got to put the hammer down on these guys. Like, this is beyond. So, what do you do if you're the Big Ten? Do you tell Michigan you have to fire Jim Harbaugh? <sighs> yeah. I mean, see, here's the thing. Can you even do that if you're if the, you're Big, the Big Ten? Ten, I don't think, can do that. But I would like to think that Ward Manuel, the athletic director, would see what coming down the road and my thought process on situations like this has always been I don't want it to be where they punish players that play at Michigan or wherever three or four years in advance like it wasn't Reggie Bush at USC that paid the penalties it was the guys in 2010 2011 for something that they didn't do for things that happened years in advance so I don't want the Michigan players that go there in 2027 to have to pay the punishment for what's going on right now the person that should be punished for this is Jim Harbaugh because Harbaugh either knew about it or he should have known about it, just according to the NCAA bylaws. And 
every college coach in the country, I love how every college coach knows everything about their program until something hits the fan. Until something bad happens. And then they know absolutely nothing about what's going on in the program. Jim, you can't tell me Harbaugh knows nothing. You can't. No, not as long as it's been going on. Not as many games as this guy's. If this guy went to two, went to two games this season, if he went to, uh, you know, uh, an Ohio State game and he went to a Georgia game, yeah, and that was it. Those were the only two games that he went to. Then, yeah, you could make an argument that this that guy's one, gone rogue. This guy went rogue. He went to two games. Harbaugh didn't know about it. Then you can make that argument. But as systemic as it's been, and for as long as it's been going on, you can't make that argument. There's a budget, apparently, that they use to pay for this guy to go to all these games. Like I mentioned, he makes 55000 a year. Yeah, so you know he's called a slush fund. That's exactly what it is. They have a slush fund. There you go, Michigan. Way yeah. to go. But, you know, they're above that. Just ask the... You know, as if they didn't have the whole uh, Fab Five thing. Oh, God. You remember that? Yes. Yeah. So... They act like they're all high and mighty and everything, and I'm I'm trying to be as anti-not biased as possible, <laughs> but I'm sorry. Jim Trussell lost his job over tattoos. We got a one-year bull tattoos ban and memorabilia. for tattoos and memorabilia. Ohio yep. State's 2012 team could not win the national championship like they probably would have if you know they'd been eligible to play in that game because mm-hmm. of tattoos, which, last I checked, selling your own personal so product for tattoos... Does nothing to help you win games on no, the field. No, now it's called NIL. Yeah, now it's called. <laughs> <laughs> now it's completely legal. No, no, it's comp- yeah. No, you could have re- had another trophy case up there in Columbus. Yeah, I remember Sports Illustrated had an article how deep it went. I'm like, it didn't go that deep. The guys are just selling their own things for tattoos. Like it had no on-field advantage no. whatsoever. This elaborate sign stealing. Filming definitely hasn't. Like, De- I know Deion Sanders came out and said, oh, even if you know what they're running, you still have to stop it. That's technically true. That is true. But when you're a five-star athlete, when you're a top linebacker, top running back, if you know what the other guy's going to do, makes your job a whole lot easier. Absolutely. And if it didn't make your job easier, why would anybody do it? And especially when you have that information going into an offseason or going into a bye week, when you have more time to put your game plan together and and there was a there was a thing last year that michigan i believe in the first half they outscored their opponents by an average of seven points a game they had a three or four big 10 games that they trailed at halftime mm-hmm. second half they average outscoring teams by an average of 24 points per Jeez. game and i know you make great halftime adjustments i know right. that's a thing but that seems a little bit drastic mm-hmm. that seems like if you are that good you should not just be a great second-half team. And they're beating Big Ten teams now by more than they were beating Bowling Green and UNLV and ECU. And But now the problem is that anything that Michigan did that was really, truly good, anything that any player development, any any great plays that Michigan Question. really made, it's all questioned. Yeah, it's kind of like what happened with the Patriots with Spygate, yep. except... The Patriots at least had three Super Bowls to hang their hat on, and Michigan hasn't even won a bowl game. Or I think Harbaugh's one and six in bowl games, but yeah. they have no titles to speak of. My personal record book, Ryan Day, is now one to know against Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta love we it. We haven't played. We did, the last two games didn't happen. They didn't. They, 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 they don't count. No, we had the lead at one point, and then the game conveniently ended. And then Michigan stole signs. And it was all <laughs> they stole. Yeah, this is like a combination of the Patriots and the Astros. Oh God. But at least, like I said, at least those teams had championships. Michigan, uh, they don't. You know, they say uh, those who uh, 
Those who stay will be champions. Those who cheat will not be champions. Nah. Oh, man. This has been a fun one, guys. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. Thanks for your calls. Thanks for your texts tonight. Thanks for Zach for stepping up and co-hosting this effort with me. If you missed any of the show, he will have this thing podcasted here shortly. Again, join myself and Mark Blankenbaker on Saturday at noon as we get you set for Duke and Louisville. Your Coors Light Louisville football pregame show gets rolling at noon right here on 93.9 The Ville. We will be back at it next week. And until next time, go Go Cards. Cards! Beat Duke! Tired of jumping from job to job? How about a career in a recession-proof industry where you can make a difference and help create a healthier living and working environment? The pest management industry gives you the opportunity to work with more independence. OPC Pest Services will give you a chance to grow with advancement. Come be a part of our team at OPC Pest Services. Apply online at opcpest.com careers. That's opcpest.com careers. Keep playing. Keep working. Keep going. And keep moving with the exceptional orthopedic care at Baptist Health. With an experienced team and a full line of advanced services and procedures, it's no wonder most people choose Baptist to help them keep on keeping on. Visit baptisthealth.com ortho to find a Baptist Health provider.